Oh, hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of the No Wellness Wankery podcast. I'm your host, Lindy Cohen, a dietitian, a nutritionist and someone who got really messed around by diet culture growing up. So I'm here to help you untangle from all those silly diet rules that make healthy eating so much harder than it needs to be. And today I'm very excited because we're mixing up the format a little bit to try something a bit new with real stories from people probably just like you who've also been tainted by diet culture. And for our first session today, we're speaking with Tracy Wright, and she is an incredible woman whose story I hope you enjoy listening to. Hi, Tracy, and thank you so much for coming on today's podcast. I'm so happy to have you as my guest on the first ever Real Talks, Real Stories episode of No Wellness Wankery. Thank you for having me. My, my pleasure. I think what I'm really excited about is for us to be able to have these conversations and for all of us to tune in and realize that we're not alone. A lot of us have been thrown down the dieting pathway way too early. And based on what I spoke to you about earlier, you started dieting at, was it age 10? Can you tell me a bit about that? Between 8 and 10. I remember even younger than that being taken to a doctor for something totally unrelated and um, him pulling myself and my mother aside. And I might have been about five, six, saying that if my mother didn't start me on a diet very soon that I wouldn't live until I was in my teens. Um, mm. And I was not an overly o- overweight child. I was active. I did all the stuff that normal kids do at that age. Um, what was found out later was that I was just more developed than the other kids. So, you know, I started puberty at the age of nine. So you know, my body was sort of working its way up as at a younger age and um, I still remember the feeling th- that I had been told that you know, like you're not going to live if you don't, you know, start dieting. And I guess my mum, she only knew what she knew at the time, you know, like we're talking early 70s here. And um, so I think she started me on a diet there and then. Do you remember what, how she wanted you to eat or what what you were trying to stick to? It's not, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I do remember feeling like I wasn't good enough the way I was. Um and not that my mother didn't love me any less. It was that society thought I was different, you know. Other people thought I was different. And um, I know I retreated, retreated into myself. And um, I think I began sneaking food by the time I was 10. I began sneaking food because I was just – I'd been restricted for so long that I just started sneaking things to eat because I was hungry. You know, not admitting to myself, let alone anybody else, that I was doing that. And honestly, I did fall back into that habit of sneaking food not long ago. And I've got no reason to do that. You know, I can eat what I want when I want. Um, but I snuck. I think I, I felt like I needed to sneak a donut or something like that, you know, like while I was out one day and hide the evidence in the car. Um, but yeah, it's just a, from such a young age to feel that you weren't enough just the way you were because you weren't, you know, like everybody else, I suppose. 
I think there's a lot of justification for why we end up sneaking food or for why you still might be sneaking food. I think when you're all the health messages we're receiving would be telling us these are the bad foods and we shouldn't be eating this. Mm. And then we might go, well, what if anyone sees me eating this in public, especially having been brought up the way you were, they're being told that your lovability was dependent on how much you weighed. That was kind of the message you were told from a really young age that to be a good girl, you needed to stick within a certain you know, your body was wrong and that you needed to change that body. And, you know, I wonder then what would have happened if you weren't given diet advice from the age of five or 10 years old? You know, it's a question of who knows what could have happened, but here you are at 10 years old, already forming an unhealthy relationship with food in your body. Mm. Uh, What happened from here on? I started seriously dieting off my own bat before I was 13. So I begged my mother to join me up to a, um, I think it was Jenny Craig at the time. They'd only just started. I wanted to join up to that. And I'm, um, I begged my mother to allow me to join that, which she did because she knew I was unhappy. So she allowed me to join that. I did that for a while, couldn't continue it. So then I moved from diet to diet to diet. I've done, I did everything that was out there, absolutely everything. Um, and I did that from the time I was about 13 to the time I was 40 every week, starting something new, you know, um, starting something new on a Monday. And by Friday, it was just like, I can't do this. I just can't keep going. And because everything was just restrictive, I couldn't change to fit the diet rules, you know, like I just couldn't do it. I, no, I had. I do still have a food addiction, which is really hard to admit. You know, like how you, people think, how can you be addicted to food? Up until I did some work on myself, I um, literally had to have all my pantry and cupboards full of food because I would go into a panic attack if I didn't have something there. And in this day and age, we can go to the shop at any time we need something. But if I didn't have the pantry and cupboard full, I was terrified that I was going to starve. It makes so much sense to me that this might be a reaction that you would have had being brought up, being restricted on how much you're allowed to eat. You can throw our body into feeling like there is a famine, a starvation response goes on so that as soon as we do get access to food, we need as much as we possibly can to feel safe and feel secure. This is such a natural and protective behavior. I think sometimes in the diet world, we get told, you know, you have poor willpower if you can't stick to a diet, not realizing that the very food rules we've been dished out everywhere since we were young kids has been leading us to fear that food is running out and that we need to eat as much as we possibly can when we can, and that these behaviors stick around and there's nothing wrong with you, Mm. which is, I hope, something that you've come to realize. Oh, definitely. Um, It's taken a lot of internal work, a lot of work to um, realise that it was a conditioning for me. So, um, you know, it went from being restricted to food to also being told to eat everything on my plate, not leaving the table until it was empty, but I was only allowed to eat at those certain times, um, whether I was hungry or not. You know, it's just this totally conflicting feeling and thought process because you know you've got to eat everything on your plate but if you want to lose weight you have to so-called you have to restrict what you eat they're the stories that you're being told and conditioned to do 
I thought I was so broken that I could not lose weight. Now, I was 140 kilos, so I'll own that. I'm not very tall, um, five foot one. I don't know what that is in today's <laughs> measurements, but five foot one. So I was what they call morbidly obese. I was on the verge of having diabetes, all those sorts of things, because I thought I was broken and I couldn't control and have the willpower to lose weight. So what, what age were you at this point? I was probably 140 kilos by the time I was 35. Want to stop binge and emotional eating for good? Understand the cause of these habits, learn how to deal with afternoon or evening binges and get the number one tool you need to break up with binging for good with my free five-day course. This means no more hiding food wrappers, eating in secret or feeling guilt and shame around your eating behaviors. Instead, you'll learn how to regain control over food, make peace with your body and stop being consumed by thoughts of food all the time. Sign up to my free course in the show notes and experience the life-changing transformation for yourself. So there you go. From from the age of 10, you dieted yourself to the point where you were morbidly obese. You felt deeply uncomfortable in your body, I assume. Definitely. Pain. You, you had these warnings from doctors that you'd be seeing. Yeah. Um, and then, and then what happened? Um, so I also lived my life alone because I didn't think I was lovable. I didn't think anybody would want to be with me because I was so fat. I decided at the age of 45 that I'd had enough. I just had had enough and I couldn't continue walking into a room and looking around seeing if I was the fattest person in the room or if there was anybody bigger than me, um, putting my life on hold because I was too uncomfortable. And I researched that I thought, well, the only thing that's going to work for me is weight loss surgery because I've tried everything else and everything else, nothing else works or I can't stick to it. If I had weight loss surgery, it was going to force me to stick to it. And that is just another whole kettle of fish. You just don't realize what that is going to do to your mind, your body, and everything around you. What did it do? How did it impact your life? For me, um, now I'm not saying it does this for everybody, but this is just what, what it did for me. You know, I don't regret having the surgery at all. Um, I regret not being fully informed about what was going to happen, not um, preparing beforehand, so not getting the um, nutritional help beforehand, not getting the mental help beforehand, the psychological help and not understand the tools that you need emotionally to deal with the tool that you're given physically. So I had none of that. I went to a surgeon, the surgeon performed the operation. I didn't see the surgeon again. I didn't see the dietitian again. Um, I didn't see this physio again either. So I had one appointment with each before my surgery and then I was left on my own. Wow. And they took, after I, I you know, found out, they took 90% of my stomach and left me with 10% of my tummy. 
And for anyone who doesn't know about weight loss surgery, it has quite huge implications for how you can eat from there on after in terms of how much you're allowed to eat at any sitting because your stomach size, as you said, is you 10% of your stomach left. The amount you could fit in your stomach was so small. And then you have to be so strategic about what you eat so that you actually get the right nutrients that you need. That's right. So certain nutrients don't get absorbed as easily. So it's very easy to become deficient. And at the same time, what it sounds like is there were these physical changes, but no one had actually addressed the fact that you had perhaps an undiagnosed eating disorder that was fueling all of this. And so you still have the psychological impacts of being obsessed with food, of of trying to get as much food as possible, but now with this very minute stomach that can't handle it. And if you do end up eating more than what you ought to do, according to your stomach size, then you can feel nauseous, you can vomit, you can have really unpleasant gut symptoms. That's right. And um, the amount of times that I would eat something and not know my cues and just have that one extra mouthful and have my head over the toilet and lose, lose a lot. Um, so I went from 140 kilos, two years later I was 49. I did not even recognise myself walking past a window at the, at the shopping centre. Um, and I felt I didn't have any energy. There was nothing there. I was taking all the vitamins I was told to take. I was doing everything um, that I had researched because I had to go online. There was no other way I knew what to do. Um, so, you know, I was given instructions, a, a, a book, I think it was just a book on what to do, what to eat, how to eat, and I'd look at it and I'd go, I can't eat that. It's just, you know, like it looked like slop honestly it just looked like slop I'm like I just can't so um I would just prepare the normal meal and just cut mine right down so I can eat at any given sitting between half a cup and a cup of food depending on what it is so you can't drink an hour before or an hour after you've eaten because it just doesn't sit in this in your stomach um you're on multivitamins and expensive multivitamins the rest of your life how how much would you say you spend on multivitamins i would spend on vitamins each month between 100 and 150 dollars each month i find it really sad that you know the way I, i kind of I think there is a time and a place for, for weight loss surgery, a very small time and place where it is useful. What I have an issue with is I think so often we are trying to put, as I said, like a Band-Aid on a headache. We are trying to solve a problem with a completely wrong solution, which is I think what is what kind of happens here. I'm really glad that you don't regret your surgery. But I think often what we do in this pursuit for weighing less is we do sacrifice our well-being in every sense of that word, whether it's our financial well-being or our, and our physical well-being, our mental health, so we can attain uh, a th- not even a thinner ideal, but just to, to weigh less. So here you are at 49 kilograms, feeling quite depleted. And how did everyone else respond to you seeing this smaller size? It was amazing the so-called friends that came out of the woodwork that wanted to, the people that wanted to be around me because I was thinner. Um, I dressed differently. Um, and for a little while that felt nice, you know, like being accepted, that felt nice. And I chugged along quite 
quite well, you know. I had it between um, – I allowed myself eight kilos leeway. Just, you know, at that weight, I thought, no, eight kilos is a good leeway so I could gain and lose, gain and lose. But I weighed myself every day, absolutely terrified I was going to gain more than that eight kilos because I knew I could lose that eight kilos again. But um, I just absolutely was obsessed. I went from one addiction to another. So I couldn't um, eat as much as normal. But I went to coffee and I would have 10, 20 cups of coffee a day. I don't know how I fit it in, but I fit it in. Well, um, was that part of a weight management strategy or was that a just something to do because you couldn't consume? So at least you yes. could consume coffee and it yes. was digestible. That's right. So mm. it was just something to put in my mouth. Um, eating became to a point – eating was it, – it sounds – and I've got no idea what anorexia is like, but it comes to the point where you go from eating as much as you can and going from that starvation to that addiction to the other side of that addiction going, I don't want to put anything in my mouth because that's going to make me gain weight and I don't want to go back to where I was. So my mentality was it got to the stage where um, I would live on protein shakes because I didn't want to eat. I was too scared to put anything in my mouth because that was going to make me gain weight. And it wasn't until I literally threw my scales away and just one day I was just like, just get rid of them. You know, like this is so so hard to weigh myself every day and see that your weight changes. Every single day your weight changes. It depends on what you ate the week before. It's not what you ate that day. So um, I threw them away and um, – sort of started living my life to a normal stage. And I know I went to the doctors at one point and she said, oh, you've put on a little bit of weight. And I went, yeah, I have, but I know I needed to because I wasn't, well, didn't feel healthy. And she's like, no, you're fine. You're, you're um, 58 kilos or something along those lines. She said, if you can stay between that and 65, you'll be fine. No worries. And once again, at no point in any of these consultations was anyone noticing the fact that there was a deeply disordered relationship with food underpinning no. it. No one's asking questions about how you're feeling around food. All that seems to matter sometimes to healthcare professionals is what's your BMI? How much do you weigh? And, you know, do everything that you can to stick within that. I think that's the message we get told. Yeah. So I was exercising four hours a day, eating next to nothing, living on protein shakes, still had no idea that I had a what I would now say is an eating disorder. Yes, I, I would. I think you would qualify. That would have qualified for an eating disorder diagnosis. Then I suffered a really traumatic event. I actually lost, I had two of my fingers amputated in an accident and I did not know how to deal. Like I couldn't deal with my emotion. I couldn't deal with how that made me feel. I couldn't deal with any of that. So I went back to old habits. And I went back to using food as my crutch, food as – so where I could only have a small amount, I could have that small amount every hour and I figured that out. You know, my warped – what I say is warped brain now figured out that if I ate every hour, I could still eat a whole heap of stuff. And then I found what they call slider foods, which is just stuff that just goes straight down and doesn't take up any space and you can eat and eat and eat and eat. So I turned to those foods 
so I could eat more to deal with my emotions, then absolutely freaked out when I realized I'd gained 30 kilos in two years. How did that make you feel and what did you do after you found out? I was like, I just, that was it. I went into a deep depression because I'd failed again. I'd failed my last chance of being so-called normal. So obviously I was broken. There was something wrong with me because I couldn't make that work even. Food is food is one of the ways in which we can cope and deal with hard emotions. And I think anyone who tells us that we can't ever emotionally eat, well, humans are emotional creatures and mm. food is something that is going to soothe us. But emotional eating or eating is just one of the coping strategies that we want to develop in order to to use to to be able to feel better. And when you've had a toxic relationship with food, when you've had all these food rules thrown at you like you had throughout your entire life, the emotional release that you get from eating gets heightened and heightened and heightened. So it's beyond that of what it previously was. So now that food, when you do eat it, it gives you a much higher sensation than before you ever started dieting. And this makes sense as to how this kind of fueled this entire process and how food became, uh, would you say that you very much looked forward to these moments of being able to binge as, you know, within your capacity and simultaneously felt regret after doing it. What was your relationship with those, with that eating? To be honest with you, I didn't even know I was eating. It was just automatic. I would just find myself with a, say a family block of chocolate gone in two hours and not know that I'd done it. Not, not remembering that I'd gone out and bought it because it's not something I just keep in the house. Um, so not knowing that I'd gone out and bought it, just it just happened. Not knowing that a great big bag of potato chips had gone. And then, of course, re- once I've realised that, just deep depression, oh, I've done it again, you know, like how could I have done this? How can I sabotage myself like this? How can I keep doing this to myself? Did you ever resolve to act differently? I didn't know how to. And sometimes I still don't. You know, I have all the knowledge in the world of all the years of, you know, knowing what to do. I know to eat intuitively, you know. I know that we are designed, excuse me, we are designed to eat when we're hungry. We're designed to stop when we've had enough. And we're designed to ask ourselves the questions. We shouldn't have to ask ourselves the questions. It should just be we don't start being forced to eat until we're about two years old, I believe, when our parents start thinking we're not eating enough and we're not eating the right things. So um, as a baby, we know what we're eating, what we're supposed to do, but we lose that and it's a matter of trying to find that again. And I find sometimes I still do if I get up in the middle of the night saying I'm tired, I still do go for that you know, handful of chalk chips or the <laughs> – the spoonful of Nutella or peanut butter. I still do do that, but I give myself permission to do that now. When when you've spent your entire life, so as you said, from the age of two and for you specifically at the age of five, you got dished quite clear food rules about what was acceptable to eat and what was not acceptable and how much you needed to eat. And it's been, what, 50 years almost Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. those food rules being thrown at you. It's going to take quite a while for us to unlearn those things. So I think a lot of these, you know, wellness health ideas are like, well, in three, you know, three months or the 28 day challenge or whatever it is, if these 
behaviors and thoughts have been built up over decades, it's going to take us longer than a year, five years. It could take, you know, 10 plus years. Mm. And it's a constant evolution where you might notice that, oh, you know, maybe this is where you are now. And maybe in a year from now you go, maybe I do that slightly less. Mm. I think when people are specifically recovering from something like binge eating, we kind of would really like to go from binge eating multiple times a day to not binge eating at all within a few weeks or months. That never happens though. What we end up seeing is we go, okay, well maybe you had one binge free day in a month and that's a huge win. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, you know, in a year from now you're having cut two binges a week and that is a huge transformation. I think what we often fail to see is the micro changes that we're making, the micro improvements. Of course, those behaviors are still there, but I think as long as we're on the trajectory to going, okay, I think I'm doing this behavior a little bit less. I'm becoming more mindful when I do, even if that's, that's it. There's not, there's no behavior change. I'm just more conscious when I'm doing it. That is already getting us much closer to where we want to be. It's a slong and a slong, a slow and long process. Um, but it sounds to me that you're very much on that process, although you haven't arrived at the, the perfect destination because perfect destination does not exist. No. Tell me, Tracy, can you tell me a bit about in this depressive state, you know, full intense purposes, binge eating without awareness around it. And now, you know, you approached me saying, you'd love to share your story because you have learned about intuitive eating and where you're at. So how did you get to the point, to that point, to where you are now? There was a lot of internal work, a lot of reading, a lot of um, research, I think. Sorry, was there a moment where you thought, let's start doing this differently? There was. It was, um, I looked in the mirror actually and I thought, you know, there's a photo of me and here I am at like 50 something kilos. Here I am now at 70 something kilos and I'm just feeling worse than I did it ever because I feel like I've just totally just failed again and not failed forward, but failed and gone backwards. Um, I'd let all my old habits come back in again and I knew it. I knew they were there. I knew instead of feeling a feeling, I would turn to food because that didn't judge me for feeling that feeling. It just soothed me. So there was a lot of research and um, I have read so many books um, and there are so many out there, not not on personal development, but also on people who have been through what I was going through, you know, who had had traumas and who didn't know how to deal with those traumas. Um, And I had quite a few through my life. I got some personal coaching, just someone to help me deal with my traumas. And once I released those, I was able to then look deeper inside and go, well, I need to change this part of me. Honestly, I can say now it's still something I am working on. And I think I will be working on this until the day I die because it's not something that is a quick fix. Nobody's perfect. Nobody eats perfectly every single day. Grocery shopping days, it's normal to get takeaway on the way home, I've discovered. So um, you might have a boot full of fresh food, but you get takeaway on the way home because you just can't be bothered. And that's normal. So um, to learn what was actually normal in everyday life and not feeling like I was the only one doing it um, was a big step. And learning to make sure that I was prepared that I prepared myself to succeed in what I wanted to achieve. And all I want to achieve now is I don't want to achieve a certain weight. 
I don't want to achieve a certain look. I just want to be healthy. What does that look like to you? Health looks like to me um, where I have energy to get up in the morning and go for a walk because I enjoy walking. I have the energy to get up off the couch at the end of the day and just get up and do the dishes without thinking about doing the dishes. It's just done. And just, you know, just enjoying my life, being able to enjoy it and have, knowing that I've got longevity coming my way, that I'm not on blood pressure medication. I'm not on, you know, insulin for diabetes. I'm not on, you know, I'm not suffering migraines all the time because I've eaten something that's got something in it that's going to trigger it for me. And healthy for me too is also mental health as well now, you know, like making sure I take care of myself. So you found a way of moving your body that feels really enjoyable, not a mm. punishment for eating or not That's something right. that you feel you have to force yourself to do. It's something that you choose and you want to do each day and it makes you feel good. That's right. And I think that's a big, something that was really, I needed to learn too, because I thought exercise was because you had to exercise to work off what you're eating. So therefore it was a punishment and I hated the thought of it my whole life. I hated the thought of exercise and it was my story that I didn't do that. I did not exercise because I was not going to punish myself. Um, and finding something that was enjoyable for me took a lot, a lot of trial, a lot of error, a lot of um, just trying something for a few weeks and if it didn't feel right, it was okay, no, that's not for me. The whole time I was still doing those that walking because that always made me feel good, and I didn't realize that that just that walking was enough of an exercise to help my well being, my my mental health, my physical health, everything, and it just did that for me. So it sounds like you had to let go of what you thought exercise should look like. Yes. It didn't have to be going to the gym. It didn't have to be holding weights or running. Yeah. Exercise can be, as my one of my clients said, just a walk. It could be yes. just stretching. It can just be simple and enjoyable and slow and easy. What would you say to five-year-old you or 10-year-old you? What advice would you give to her now? I would just, um, and I have thought about this kind of, thing before because whenever I do speak badly to myself internal those really horrible things that you say to yourself I think you wouldn't say that to a five-year-old the five-year-old me needed to know that she was just perfect the way she was and if she had have known that if she didn't feel like she needed to fit in with everybody else I think she would have grown up without the eating disorders she would have experienced so much more in life than what she did there were so many missed opportunities because um, the younger me was terrified of being seen. So um, being seen, being overweight meant I wasn't seen or I could hide behind my weight. And I think that's a lot. There's a lot of people who feel that. You know, you think that you're being like being larger, that you're going to be more visible, but I don't think you are. I think you you, you hide behind that. So um, definitely tell my younger self to um, live big. And is that what you'd tell someone who is listening right now who felt like they were keeping their life small, who, who was waiting to lose weight to start living their life, who was you know, just scared of, of eating the wrong thing and, and feeling guilty? What I say to myself is if I go 
if I go somewhere and there are people around me, I don't even look at what they look like. Honestly, see, if someone's having fun, I don't care what size they are, how old they are, what size they are, what they're wearing, I don't see that. And most people don't. Most people just see someone enjoying themselves and just want to be around that. They want to be around the the vibe that's put out. So if you're – and I did have someone say to me the other day, what advice would I give her? She's going, she's going to another country for their summer and um, her in-laws are very trim and tanned and live the outdoor life and she's overweight. And she said, I don't know what to feel around them. I can't wear – um, a bathing suit around them. And I'm like, but they know that you're, they can see you're, you know, you're living your life to your best. And that's what you want people to see. And anybody that sees somebody living their life to the best that they can live it and enjoying themselves and making other people feel amazing around them, that's the biggest gift we can give anybody, including ourselves. Stop waiting on the wait. Wear That's your it. swimsuit, turn up in photos. You're not going to look back at in 20 years time and, and you can't even see yourself in your, in your happy memories because you're not in the photograph. So you have to turn up and start living yeah. your life. I think sometimes when we have struggled with disordered eating or poor body image, we, we look at other people's bodies a little bit more because we're so self-conscious about how our body looks. And so we start to think this is how everyone thinks. We think everyone is assessing everyone else's body and that's just not the case. And so I think, and, and even if someone is assessing bodies, I find inse- when insecurity is the reason behind that. And let's not let their insecurity become our insecurity. We're going to have to wrap up, but I want to know, is there anything else you'd want the listener right now to think about or something you wish you had done sooner that they could maybe just start doing from now on? I wish I had given myself grace sooner and allowed myself just to be me um, and actually asked for help. There are so many places now that we can ask for help that doesn't necessarily need to be um, a diet or a program or a challenge. Um, and there are so many people who are willing to give that help um, that no, not everybody – has not been where you are. So um, don't look at a, um, a dietitian or a, a nutritionist or um, even just your next door neighbor and think that they, that, you know, they live the perfect life. Ask them for help because they've probably been where you are at some point. Um, and it doesn't matter if someone has, you know, feels like they're five kilos more than they should be or a hundred kilos more than they should be. The feelings are still the same. The body image is still the same. So ask for help. Talk about it. Learn that the diet industry is not right. They're there just to, you know, make money and make you feel the worst that you're going to be. So you keep coming back. I have nothing but contempt for the diet industry. I really do because it's just – um if it wasn't there, so many more people would be living such more, you know, fulfilled lives because they'd be less worried about, you know, turning up in the photos. 
Spot on. Sometimes I do wonder, you know, for yourself, and I, I wonder about myself, what would it have happened if I was never put on a diet? Am I, you know, would mm. I have just existed in a normal everyday sized body and, yeah. and just gone about living my life? I would probably not be a dietitian helping people who've also struggled with diet culture and all that nonsense. It's incredible to think where, how much more potential we could have if every thought didn't keep coming back to calories or how much we weighed or how many reps we did at the gym. Worrying about our weight keeps us small. It keeps us stuck and we need to live big. We need to turn up in photos, as you say. We do. I mean, years ago we didn't have these um, instant photos and the photo was what the photo was. Whether we had a funny face or whether, you know, our eyes were closed or, you know, we had double chins or whatever, they were there and it was just, you know, look back on your family photos from years ago and you'll see that the photos aren't perfect, but the feelings are there. Tracy, it's been so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing your story with me, with everyone else listening. I feel like you're going to be able to help a lot of people just by telling us your stories. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to share your story on the podcast, I would love to hear from you. Please email me, email my team. We want to hear from you. Hello at lindycohen.com. Tell us a little bit about you. And I think the power of us sharing our stories together is that other people can hear them and realize that they're not alone either. Shame exists as long as we don't shine a light in it, if it stays in the shadows, if it stays hidden. So by talking about these topics, these things that affect so many of us, whether it's body shame or obsession with food or eating disorders, we're helping to reduce the stigma that surrounds it still. So please reach out to us. Hello at lindycohen.com and thanks for listening. Hey, I've got a question for you. Does binge eating feel like your dirty secret? And are you sick of trying to be good, but falling off the bandwagon and losing control around food? If so, I can help. Binge Free Academy teaches you how to beat binge eating and feel in control around food giving you doable evidence-based strategies. You'll get lifetime access to 30 practical step-by-step video lessons, 12 group coaching calls with me, and become part of my Binge Free Academy community for life. As a recovered binge eater, I get it. I know there's no quick fix or one-stop shop for binge eating. And so that's why I want to give you the ongoing support and care you need and deserve. And I'm so confident it will help you that I'm offering you a 30-day money-back guarantee. So no risk or reward. You can take control over your food and your life. And I think it's the best investment you'll ever make towards reclaiming your life, your health, and your happiness. To learn more about Binge Free Academy, you can click the link in the show notes or go to lindycohen.com slash binge-free-academy.